You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 182. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. I have been overthinking these episodes. It started about a month ago when I realized I was creating a really powerful story arc. What's it going to be like when you first get into your sobriety? What are some things that you can expect? And also bringing in value for those of you who've been in sobriety for a while, and certainly for those of you who have also been in long-term recovery, and wanting to make sure that I bring it all into this beautiful you know, pot of stew that we can all experience as one, even though we are often in different stages of our journeys. And then comes the overthinking. And with the overthinking, like when I reshot episode 181 six times, uh, it zaps the creativity out of my brain. It, it really drains me. So today what we're going to do is literally just talk about some things that popped into my mind, having gone through some Instagram messages and Facebook messages that I've, I've been talking to some of you, things I've been reading in the tribal threads that I have going, as well as words that just popped into my brain while I was in the shower this morning. And ultimately, we're going to continue on the story that we've done, but once in a while, it's nice to have a little bit of an intermission, if you will, where we can just say, let's just chit chat about some stuff. So a couple things that have been going through my mind a lot lately. Uh, one, we just hit October. Um, for those of you who have been listening for a couple years now, you will know that I have this philosophy about how one year ends and one year begins, and it's not all on January 1st. I actually believe that the that the next year starts on December 1st, and I believe that the previous year ends on February 1st. This gives us a 60-day window to wrap up what we're doing in the current year and also to begin preparing for what we're going to do in the next year. Because there's a lot of pressure we put on ourselves with January 1st about you know New Year's resolutions, I'm going to get a new calendar. And one of the things I like to do is build us with momentum. So you start thinking about the next year on December 1st. You already have your calendar. You're already putting things into it. As well as you're not trying to wrap everything up in December and November when the holidays are coming. And it's winter and we're already feeling a little bit bogged down. Um, for you, uh, you know, down south and the Australias and the Africas and the South Americas who listen, it's your summer, uh, but it's still a flip of the year. And so you're still going through similar things, except now your holidays are happening while it's beautiful and sunny out. So you get all of the the, the fun of the summer around also the the holiday chaoticness. So there's a lot of reasons why we're looking to extend one year to February 1st and also start the next year, December 1st. It gives us that 60-day window to really be thinking about closing one out and opening up another and not feeling like we have to bum rush everything onto January 1st. One of the reasons why New Year's resolutions don't work is we put so much pressure on that day. Now, certainly, there are some of you out there who have contacted me and been like, totally nailed the January 1st, no more drinking thing, and kudos to you. not saying that it doesn't work. I'm just saying that law of averages says most New Year's resolutions will not be able to 
stick around and be followed through because we're putting so much pressure on that day. And often we think we're going to throw five or six New Year's resolutions all onto one day. And as soon as one fails or gives us a feedback opportunity, then the other ones collapse with it. So why am I going into this now at the beginning of October instead of December? One, that's a prelude to our future conversations. But two, we just entered into the fourth quarter of the year. If you are into business and economics, you'll understand that the fourth quarter is when businesses start trying to figure out how they're going to close out um, in the black, how they're going to be able to say that they made money this year. This is why Black Friday exists, because they consider it the beginning of the shopping season. And for businesses that have been slow, they try to do a tremendous amount of sales during the holiday shopping season. And in the United States, we believe, well, we used to, I guess now it's sort of, <laughs> there are already Christmas stuff in stores and Halloween hasn't even happened. But for the most part, the day after Thanksgiving is when the traditional holiday shopping season starts. So businesses do a great deal of sales on that very first weekend. That's their goal is to go nuts. And because that's the revenue that will lead their year into the positive. Now, we're not a business, but we can also be looking at things like that kind of framing. And because it's the fourth quarter, we realize this is when shit gets real. Yeah, if you watch football, and you know I do, right? Yeah, first quarter's cool and all. Second quarter's definitely fun. Third quarter, you start to notice the team's taking a little bit more seriously. Fourth quarter, if, you're, if you have a chance of winning, you are not screwing around. Hell, I have seen some games over the last couple of weeks where you'd think it was time to close it down at the beginning of the fourth quarter and the team came back and won. There is no such thing as losing the game until the final bell. And because of the way we're going to extend our year, you've got extra time to work on what you're wanting to accomplish in 2022. So let's start thinking about it now at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Let's not only be focused on it from December to February, but let's also, you know, and again, no pressure, but let's start to just expand our vision to what it is that we could accomplish over these next three to four months. That's a long time. That's a long time. That's 90 to 120 days that we're looking at here. So much can happen. It's sort of like the Tour de France. You can't win it in the first couple stages, but you can definitely put yourself in a position where there is zero chance you'll win it. That's something they say a lot. It's like, you can't win it in the first week, but you can definitely lose it in the first week. For some of us, the beginning of the year may not have gone the way we would have preferred. We roll out of spring into summer, right? Then there's, there's just the chaos of summer. If kids are out of school, it's warm, it's beautiful, we want to do things. Here comes the winter. This is a great time for those in the Northern Hemisphere to start thinking about what we can be doing inside of our homes. And for those of you in the Southern Hemisphere, I'm not leaving you out, right? You have the opportunity to go out. You have the opportunity to be in that warmer weather, firing yourselves up. You're coming out of your hibernation. So what do you want to accomplish during your outdoors time, during your warmer months? So this works for both. I will frame a lot of it under the hibernation lens because I am in North America and that puts me coming up on winter, but you can easily just bridge this right over to those of you in the warmer climates. So here we go. Fourth quarter of the year. What are we going to do with it? 
Now, I talked about this a bit last week about specifics. And why are specifics important? One of the things that happens when addiction takes hold, and for a lot of us, it happened at a very young age. It, for I've, I've talked to plenty of you who were already in some stage of using and muting and numbing yourself, you know, at that 9 to 13 range. I didn't come across alcohol until I was 17. Knew it existed, didn't do it all that much. Parents decided to divorce um, right as I was getting ready to turn 18 at the end of my senior year in high school. And it was just like, well, screw you guys. I'm going to go over here and freaking party my ass off. And I hit the ground running. Acid, cocaine, liquor, straight out the gate is just, that's just, just what happened. So for a lot of us, we never really had a chance to even get to know what an adulting version of ourselves was going to look like what we were going to say to ourselves when we were adulting and what it was going to feel like to pay bills on time and have a good credit score and be somebody that could be relied upon at work. We didn't do those things when we were in our youth because the addiction was taking over. It was what mattered more than anything else. So here we go. Now we step into this whole sobriety world and it's like, the world just, they look at us, they see an adult, they see somebody who's older, but we don't have the experience under our belt that someone who, let's just, the normies, those who, you know, they drank when they drank, it was no big deal, you know, they were excelling at the workplace, they were getting their studies done, they went off and got great grades, they set themselves up for success coming right out of college. I applaud all of those people. That is fantastic. I have hundreds of you as friends. I can assure you that wasn't the path that I went. And for a lot of us, that's probably not the path that we went. Certainly, there are very successful people who also have their addictions and their alcoholisms and their drug addictions that they that they contend with, the substance use happening. Uh, it just tends to be that the longer the substance use goes, the more likely we are to burn the whole thing down. So here we are. We're adulting. Right, we're stepping into it. And now we want to be extremely specific about what it is we want to achieve and become in our sobriety and recovery. I really wish there was a magic pill. We could just pop it, right? It's like the Matrix thing red pill, blue pill. It would have been awesome. Just take the red pill, you know, you step out of the Matrix, you see the world for what it is, and it's like, hallelujah, I am good to go. Let's rock and roll an amazing life. It doesn't work that way. While there is a tremendous amount of physical addiction to meth, heroin, cocaine, liquor, all of the above, all right, I'm not discounting that there isn't. A majority of what we're experiencing in our addiction is in our brain. It's inside of our heads. We are creating our reality around what we're saying to ourselves, what, how we're framing things, how we are filtering and processing the world around us as it is introduced to our cognitive senses um, through our five senses, right? Touch, taste, sight, sound, smell. 
So we're taking all of this stuff in, and for years we have been taking it under the lens of addiction is what's important to me. I want to use, use, use. Must be intoxicated, must be intoxicated. A day without intoxication is a day not even worth discussing. Now we're stepping into a world where we want to experience life in all of its splendor, and we've taken away our most valued ally in how we maintain any kind of normalcy in this world. We've taken away the alcohol. We've taken away the drugs. And that's what helped us. That was our homeostasis. That was what we used to balance ourselves. And now it's gone. It's like being in a 22-year relationship, right? And then out of nowhere, you're just like, peace out. You got to go. Divorce time. And no matter how much I contemplated, no matter how much I prepared, day one of taking action on it was it was a lot. It was a tremendous, tremendous amount of emotions, amount of feelings, amount of thinking. It was all there. The way I was able to start moving toward my sobriety and really embracing it, aside from the fact that I already knew going into my sobriety that I was looking at at least a three-week detox from the damage I had done during the holiday season, just six straight weeks of just plowing through handles every day. It was out of control. Um, So obviously, I knew my body was going to need to just do its normal detox. This was the Jesse way. Black yourself out for six to eight weeks, then sober up for a couple weeks just so you could hold down food and like, I don't know, not look so gaunt and maybe take some of the yellow out of the skin and look like you were a living human being. And then two, three weeks later, my body would start to return to a balance and I'd introduce a little bit of booze and a week or two later, I was polishing off handles again. And I always knew I was coming to the end of my benders when gin was what I started to drink because I always hated gin and I thought it tasted like sandpaper or uh, like paint remover. It was just like horrible. But I knew I was coming at the end of my bender when no other alcohol would bring flavor or the, or the shakes. You know, when you do like a bunch of shots and like your body sort of shakes when everything else stopped giving me the shakes, I would turn gin. And that's when I knew that I was ending up with a bender. And so whenever it came time to get sober on January 12th of 2017, and I'd been drinking gin for a straight week, like somebody told me that gin was never going to be around again, I knew I was finishing up that bender. And it was, it was, stop. It was just fucking, hey, dude, just stop. No more. I cannot wake up in a shit tub one more time. Please to God. So when my sobriety and recovery started, I knew that I had at least three weeks where I was not going to be able to consume alcohol just physically. It was not going to be able to happen. I left it in my room even. You've heard me talk about this. I don't recommend you do it, but that's what I did. I left liquor, I left beer, I left wine, I left it all within arm reach of my bed. It would not have been hard to roll over and consume it. I wanted to test myself. I wanted to know I was serious about this, and I was. So after the end of three weeks, when I could start to tell my body was going to be ready to do it again, if I was willing to do that, I'd already made it through the Super Bowl, which was a huge deal. And so I just walked into my roommate's room, put all of it down on the floor and said, hey, I know you still drink. I do not. And here you go. Have a good time. And I walked away and I was done. And what transpired over the coming months was a tremendous amount of self-discovery, of awareness into my own patterns and habits and behaviors, and understanding how my brain was trying to take me back down that path of addiction. Again, there was a lot of physical dependency here, but when we talk about disease and addiction being a disease, 
right? Then we then we start to talk about how it's this recurring, you know, brain thing that we've got going on. I even Googled some of this. A disease is a particular abnormal condition that negatively affects the structure or function of all or part of an organism. That's definitely what something that addiction does, right? Now we go and you look at the American Medical Association's classification for alcoholism as a disease from 1956. And it, and it states that um, addiction is a chronic brain disorder, not a behavioral problem or just a series of bad choices. So, now we understand that addiction is a chronic brain disorder, right? It's a disease of the brain. It messes around with your reward system, your motivation, your memory, your all the related circuitry. This is all happening in the limbic system. Now, I'm not a science major, so I don't know all of this, and I've definitely got a professor from the University of Alabama who will be coming on uh, later this year to discuss the science so that we actually have an episode that we can continuously go back to and reference. Um, I'm also a big fan of Sober Powered, the podcast. She does a great job of talking about the science of addiction, and she does it in really nice, delicious, bite-sized episodes, 15, 20 minutes max. Um, she's very much kinesthetic. She talks slower, much more, I would I don't know if the word calm is the best way to describe it, but certainly that's the word that popped into my head where I'm super energetic and like pacing back and forth and feel like I'm going to jump through the microphone. She has a calmness to her, which is, I think, very beneficial when you're discussing things like science that um, we want we want to absorb a little slower so we can actually put it to our memory and use it. So why am I discussing science today? Because a lot of what you're going to experience in your sobriety to recovery journey is just shit that's going on inside your brain. It's going to be the way that you talk to yourself. It's going to be the way that you talk to yourself about everything that's going on and your feelings and your actions and your results. And it's going to be a constant running dialogue. In many cases, you're going to have multiple voices, not like you're schizophrenic, but just so many different things that you're thinking about and talking about to yourself at any given moment. This is why you don't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden you're in recovery. This is why you've got to be extremely mindful and aware of what your triggers are. What is your cues to go back to the behavior and then notice them and then pattern interrupt yourself. Stop yourself before you start going back into your pre-programmed habit structure that's going to lead you to using. And this is, this is a lot. I get it. It's challenging. Because this isn't something that you just eventually figure out. 15, 30, 45 years into this, I've talked to people with that kind of level of sobriety and recovery under their belt. And even they are still noticing how those triggers try to poke their head out. And it's not as frequent as it will be in that first year to three, hell, even in the first week to three months, but it does still happen. There is a level of awareness and of paying attention to what your mind is trying to do to you that you are now opened up to because you're 182 episodes into this show. So when we start talking about specifics, the reason why I'm going to be talking a lot about specifics over the rest of this year and really just moving forward is because when we don't have specific structure to what it is we want to achieve, not just in sobriety and recovery, but in our life, then we are leaving our actions and our behaviors up to our habits. 
And if our habits have not completely shifted over and raised a new standard of behavior, if our habits are still wiring us toward the old behaviors that we've already decided we are no longer wanting to be a part of, if those are the habits that we are going to trance ourselves back into, then you are going to expect similar results to what you've already done. If you are not actively ready to change fucking every habit in your life, and that is a great use of the F word right there, if you are not ready to break down every single habit and ask yourself why it's in your life, then you are going to be susceptible to that habit showing up at the most inopportune time. A lot of people want to throw around the word relapse like, well, I was sober for 13 days and then I relapsed. You were sober and then you used. When we talk about relapse, we talk about when you're deep into doing your step work or doing your four truths, like you're really busting your ass. Like you are putting in a tremendous amount of effort into your sobriety. And then some shit goes down, your emotions take over, you fall back into the same old habit loop that leads you back to the bar, that leads you back to the needle. Not using for 13 days and then using again isn't a relapse, it's just using. I don't want to squash and squadoosh everybody. You know what? I'm not even going to say that that's absolutely positively the way that you need to begin to frame it. Let me just frame this for you on how I see it. Going 13 days, six days, 117 days of sobriety, and but you're still working your ass off at your job. You're still muting your emotions in other ways. You're still arguing with your spouse or people in your house. You're still snapping and yelling at the person running the deli counter, still showing up late to work, half-assing it, quiet quitting, talking shit and gossiping behind your coworkers' backs. All that stuff is not recovery behavior. So if all you did was just take out the substance, but you didn't start putting in any of that deep level work, then congratulations, you don't have to be bummed that you relapsed because you didn't, you just used. And because you didn't start changing your habits, then it was inevitable that you would go back to using. I've got multiple clients right now who will have a certain level of pushback when we first start working together because they're wanting fast, fast, fast results. And that's not the way this is going to work. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. And those that see the most success are the ones who are able to just stop and say, you know what? I can't snap my fingers and have everything just be better. And then I, of course, have to ask him questions on how do you specifically know it even be better. But you realize that this is a journey. So when we ask you to be specific, there's a reason. There is a reason you want specificity. Because if you don't know what it is you're really wanting to get to, where your proverbial destination is, then you're really just going through a lot of motions and perhaps changing a lot of stuff without actually being aware of what it is that needs to be changed worked on today versus what could be changed worked on in a month. There is lowest hanging fruit here, right? And for a lot of us, what ends up happening is that a certain level of emotional upheaval will show up in the form of disappointment, sad, anger, and those are really noticeable. We know that those are going to trigger us back into our previous behaviors. One of the ones that I'm noticing, uh, I, I still notice to this day for myself, 
and I'm absolutely hearing in the way people write me and talk to me is frustration. Frustration is one of those emotions that we don't often give enough attention toward because we can get frustrated a lot. Um, and then it, it, you know, you either procrastinate, you either don't start, um, you get up from the project and you go off and you do something else. Frustration happens and it happens so frequently. We've almost habituated ourselves to just feeling frustrated. And you'll think, well, I don't feel frustrated, Jesse, you're completely wrong. And then you get stopped at a red light on the way to work when you were really hoping to make it through it, or your kids will leave their tennis shoes in the hallway, or, you know, you'll, you know, you'll stub your toe on a table that you, you know, should have known it was already there. Something will happen and you get super frustrated. And for me, when I used to get frustrated, I would get up from the computer, I would go off and inevitably alcohol would follow. Now I don't get the alcohol. So now when I'm trying to work on a podcast or do something on the computer and I start to feel frustrated, I stop myself in that moment. I take some deep breaths and I say, okay, what is really frustrating me right now? Well, I wanted to be able to connect all these different apps to one stream so I could do Instagram lives on on all my platforms. Okay. What is something you can do right now to help yourself figure out how to get this one stream thing worked out? Oh, look, there's a chat bot. Let's get the chat bot and then let's have the chat bot lead me to a human. Let's go on YouTube. Let's watch a video or two and let's see what other people have already figured out. Let's just calm down, sit in this seat of uncomfortability and let's figure this out because in 30 minutes, you'll have it all done and you'll know and you'll be like, wow, I can't believe that I figured that out so quickly. And this is literally something that happened last week. I got super angry. I mean, I was angry to the point where I wanted to pick up my laptop and throw it up against the wall. I know not to do that because that's stupid. So I don't do things that are going to break technology because it's not the computer's fault that I don't know how to use it. So I breathed. I got online with the, with the chat bot, led me to a human. I watched a couple YouTube videos. And about 30, 45 minutes later, I was laughing about how easy it ended up being to figure out what it is I wanted to do. If you notice frustration showing up in your life, I want you to be extremely mindful that that frustration could lead you to walking away from the project. It could lead you to walk away from whatever it is you're doing. And so now you're procrastinating. And on top of that, eventually you're going to start wandering around your house. Your thoughts are going to start to take over. You're going to start beating yourself up for not being over there working on the thing, right? You're going to start to do some mental gymnastics, justifying your frustration, justifying why you're not working on it in the moment. And this could be anything from fixing a fucking light bulb in your garage all the way to mowing your lawn to, you know, trying to write code for a website, whatever it is you're doing. I want you to be mindful of how frustration's playing its role there. And then stop yourself, take some deep breaths, break yourself out of the pattern loop that would lead you to walk away from it and then go into whatever habits you have around not sticking with something that you really wanted to do, right? You made a commitment. You want to do what you're doing. And it frustrates you, so you get up. So now you're going to beat yourself up over it, and you're going to. And what happens when you start to beat yourself up, right? We all have a habit loop created around that shit talking we do to ourselves in our brain, and it could lead us to using. It could lead us to yelling somebody in the house. It could lead us to getting in the car and driving ferociously when we should be, you know, driving safely. It can lead to a lot of things. You need to stop in that moment and ask yourself, what habit am I getting ready to fall back into, and how would I prefer to behave right now? This impulse control that we lack as addicts is something that we can absolutely begin to pay attention toward as we step into our sobriety and recovery. And in fact, 
I would I would debate that it's something that regard even if you're just in pre-contemplation right now, into contemplation that you can begin to think about. If you're in pre-contemplation, I highly doubt you're even listening to this show because pre-contemplation by its definition means you don't think anything's wrong. It's not till contemplation when you start to say, maybe something's not right about my behavior that you might have found this show. So now here we are. We're talking about specifics. What specifically would you rather be doing in this moment than getting up from the computer frustrated, than getting up from the project frustrated? This is where recovery exists. It is stopping ourselves from falling back into pre-programmed behaviors and habits. And it's within the specificity that we can locate a clear direction for our actions, behaviors that will lead us to the results that we want. So there's a lot of this practice versus doing conversation that we've had. Right? Some people will be like, well, you know, I'm practicing my sobriety. I'm going a week or two weeks with being sober. I'm just practicing what sobriety would be like. And then one day I'll actually get sober. Well, congratulations. Each day you don't use, you're sober. You're not practicing sobriety. You are doing sobriety. You are doing it. It's sports that screwed this all up with this idea of practice. Because athletes, you know, swimmers and gymnasts and volleyball players, all the way up to the major four sports in the country, they, they, they practice. But they don't, they don't frame it like when they're in the pool Tuesday morning and it's Michael Phelps and he's swimming. He's like, this isn't the competition, so this is practice. What I'm really doing is I'm working my ass off to get to the meet on Saturday. And then once that little whistle goes off, that's game time. That's what matters. Okay, that's how sports can frame it. But even on those days that they're quote-unquote practicing, they're doing. They're swimming. They're throwing the football. They're out there, you know, they call it batting practice. You're batting. (laughs) If you're swinging a bat, you're batting. If there's a ball involved, you are absolutely batting. So sports can frame it however they want to frame it. But for us, you know, if you... One of uh, somebody I'm writing with right now said they picked up the guitar and I think the piano again and they're 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 so they're playing the guitar and the piano and I was very mindful of noticing the words that they used when they brought that up. Didn't say me right. It was it was very like this is what I am doing now. I am playing the guitar and I am playing the piano. That's I mean when I pick up my ukulele and I play it, I'm not practicing the ukulele. I am playing the ukulele, and there's a huge difference in the way that your brain is going to frame something that you're quote unquote practicing versus something that you're doing. Practicing, it's it's like we can ease up on ourselves if we don't do it, or we can ease up on ourselves whenever we don't hit the right chord, or whenever we don't have the fastest time. I would also say that we could still do that while we're doing. That I don't believe that talking smack to ourselves is helping in any way, shape, or form. I'm a huge fan of the Denver Broncos, and Melvin Gordon fumbled the ball again on on Sunday, and we're going to need him to step up because our, our our first running back blew out his knee. And a lot of people are like, oh, he fumbles the ball a lot. He does this. And it's like I heard the coach say, look, we trust in him. We're going we're gonna to get back into our practice this week, and we're going to focus on him holding on to the ball. Now, in their practice, helping him hold on to the ball might mean he has to walk around with the football, and everybody's going to try to whack it out of his hand at all times. Whatever that is framed there, what I understand it as is he is actively doing the action of holding on to the ball. 
And yes, he did something on Sunday we prefer he did not do, but that does not mean that we need to hold it over his head for the rest of the season. That's not going to help his mental um, and psychological positivity towards the action of holding on to the ball. And now let's bring this back to sobriety because I may have lost some of you in the sports analogy. I'm not looking for you to be perfect. You should not be looking for perfection. Someone in the tribe right now, you know, discuss how, you know, they, they're at two weeks sobriety and they would be at three if it wasn't for that one off day. So I say f- simple reframe. You were, you were good to go for 20 out of 21 days. All those good days don't get blown up because of one off day. Any more than a quarterback who were to throw, tw- if he completed 20 out of 21 passes, people would be heralding him as the MVP of the game. So let's do that same thing for ourselves. And let's be mindful that when we are sober each and every day, we are in the midst of it. We are in the thick of it. You are doing it. You're not practicing sobriety because you didn't drink for three weeks or use drugs. You were sober. You get to step into recovery when you actually start working on the things that were causing you to want to drink and use drugs to begin with. And we talk about that a lot, about that's how the, that's the empowerment dynamic. We're looking to empower you, take you out of the victim mindset where, where victim mindset people are at, at cause. I did this because of that person. I did this because of the traffic. I did this because of my childhood. Whereas people who are empowered, who are the creator of their lives, they're at effect. They are affecting their change. And they're not blaming and complaining and making excuses on how some external force caused this to happen in their life. You're seizing personal responsibility. When you catch yourself blaming and complaining and making excuses, you stop yourself on a dime because we've discussed that's another habit loop. And you ask yourself, how can I take personal responsibility for this? Even if somebody, I don't know, went off and told the boss that, you know, you didn't do a good job on the report, even though they were the ones who didn't do a good job on the report. You can feel like a victim in that moment. You can want to sabotage them or get back to them, but that's not empowerment, right? You get to be the creator. The next project, you bust your ass. You make sure that everybody, you know, knows that you were the leader on that team and you got this stuff done and you did it in a very humble, non-egotistical way where you gave credit where credit was due and eventually the proof will be in the pudding. And if that boss doesn't want to see you for being the asset that you are and wants to believe the other person who spreads rumor and gossip, and I promise you, in a world full of quiet quitters and half-assers, you can go out there and find another gig that will appreciate who you are and your abilities and talents. Part of your sobriety to recovery journey is asking yourself, does your career really bring you fulfillment? Your career, how you talk to yourself and your relationships, these are your three spheres. This is what's important. So whenever you start looking at other areas where you think, "Mm, I don't know, maybe this isn't really paying off the way I wanted it to, or well, now I'm sober and I need to reevaluate, right? I I got a meeting with a tribal member tomorrow who's currently in this whole big process of asking himself, is it time to move careers? Nine months, 10 months sober now. And it's like, is this the opportunity that I have been waiting for to finally shift my focus from being an employee to perhaps being an entrepreneur? Right? But these are decisions you get to make, but you don't need to make them all in the first week. 
right? You can begin to do more sobriety and actively be in your recovery. And then lowest hanging fruit, be specific. What are some things that you want to begin to shift? Moving into the next year, what are some things you want to begin to shift? It might take you a year or two to fully be able to transition yourself away from a job you've had for a while into a more, you know, uplifting, beneficial job for you simply because you got to take health insurance into account and, you know, what your income will be and how it's going to affect your home life and, you know, is taking on new responsibilities going to subtract or add to the family dynamic. Like there's a lot of things that you're going to want to think about. That's where we talk about ecology. Is something it, Just because something's good for you doesn't necessarily need to be good for your family and your loved ones. may not even be good for the entire you know, institution of your life. It might, you, know, you might get a promotion and bam, it's great. You're making tons more money, but oh, now you've got to work 18-hour days. Now all of a sudden your family doesn't see you as much, right? And turns out you got hired to be working for a company that literally dumps sludge right next to little baby deers. Now you're not doing a job that benefits the world. So sure, you're making more money. But at some point, your family is going to be sad they, they don't see you. You're going to get tired of seeing dead baby deers because you're dumping sludge in their water hole. And you're going to have to ask yourself if you really want to keep that job. Wow, that whole metaphor went super dark real quick. It's because I see a baby deer in my backyard right now. And I just thought, you know what? Who would want to hurt the baby deer? <laughs> All right, let's reel it in. Let's get back to what we're talking about. So what have we covered so far? Specificity. What are the specifics of your sobriety and recovery journey around your career, around yourself, around your relationships? What are some specific things you want to do for your physical body and activity? What are some specific things you want to do around your emotions and your emotional intelligence and your emotional management? What about some specifics around your mental acuity? Do you want to learn something new? Do you want to take on a new skill? Do you want to pick up something that that addiction took away from you? And we've talked a lot about spirituality over the last month, morals, ethics, values, beliefs, opinions, right? How are you going to start to reevaluate your spirituality now that you're stepping into sobriety and recovery? We've also discussed, um, let's see, what else have we, we've, we've covered a lot. We've done specificity. We've got our spheres. We've got our pillars. Uh, we've talked about emotional management. We, let, let's talk about this. There is going to be a myriad, a plethora, a ton of things that addiction took from you. Oh yeah, so at the beginning of the show, we talked about how a lot of us hadn't even had a chance to formulate who we were going to be in adulthood before addiction took over. So this is a great segue back to that that whole plot line. Addiction takes things from you. It takes, for a lot of us, it took damn near everything, including our lives. When you get sober, it's your opportunity to take things back. Like the listener who Instagrammed me about taking on, you know, taking back the piano and, and the guitar, you know, like the listener in South Africa who's looking to take on a new job and more responsibilities, like my like my tribal member in uh, Birmingham, England, who decided he wanted to go from couch to 10k and is now taking on more responsibility at the gym and more responsibility at work and, you know, even bringing a roommate into his house so that he can, you know, uh, be able to, you know, expand what his finances can bring into his life. People begin to take back what addiction took from them, right? You begin to introduce it back into your life. And this is where we'll, this is where I can hint back onto the specificity. What did addiction take away from you? Did you even have a, a, a real opportunity to, to discover what you wanted 
in life whenever you were a kid? Did you come from a real, real challenging household so you never even got to, you know, practice swimming or take up volleyball? Maybe there's some things that you just find super interesting and you're curious about. Those are the things that you can start to introduce into your sobriety. We've talked about this in previous episodes. There might even be one called Curiosity, Interest, Passion, Purpose. When you go and look for that title, I'm I'm positive I did an episode about that. Curiosity and interest. That's where you can start to discover what it is you want to introduce back into your life now that you're moving into sobriety and recovery. It could be a guitar. It could be a piano. It could be a ukulele. It could be your own podcast. It could just be reading once in a while. It could be bird watching. It could be any activity. What, What are you curious about? What are you interested about? Now let's go introduce that back in and be childlike with it. There's a lot of grief some children get from their parents or from the the extended family that they're bounced around from activity to activity. Oh, he never sticks with anything. He's always changing his mind, changing her mind. Every two weeks to four weeks, it's something else. That's the point. The point is to try a bunch of things and see which ones stick, which ones you really end up enjoying. You might like basketball when you're in fourth grade, but you might be super into playing the flute by the time you become a senior in high school. Whatever. Allow your interests and your curiosities to create this passion inside of you. And it might be that you just like to try a lot of new things. Maybe you are just the you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Or perhaps you be, decide you want to be the master of one. And next thing you know, you're just really damn good at welding underwater with a scuba tank. I don't know. But you won't know if you don't try them. And so let's bring finances into the conversation. For a lot of you, you say, well, Jesse, there's only so many things I can do or try. I've got to work five days a week. I've got my mortgage, my health insurance. I've got kids. I've got my finances. Shit's already in disarray. And now you want me to take on skydiving. What the fuck, bro? I'm not telling you. First of all, take on anything, let alone things that would push you into a, you know, a financial despair. But I will remind you that when you were actively using, you always had money for alcohol and drugs. And now you're sober. And now that money is not going towards alcohol and drugs. And yes, that could mean that you're actually paying your car note on time or you're actually paying your electricity on time. Whatever you know, new financial things that you've taken on now that you're sober and blah, 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 when it comes to the money and where it used to go. Okay, I totally get it. But still, I will fall back to what I previously said. When you were using, you always had money for alcohol and drugs. Never seemed, never seemed to fail that I knew how to get to an ATM at 2.30 in the morning to pull out 300 bucks for another eight ball. Never had a problem with that. Couldn't pay my car note on time, but boy, I'll tell you what, three in the morning, I always had money for drugs. Oh, wow, the, the, the nearest you know, uh, bank is, an, is you know, a mile and a half away, and I'm going to have to walk through a not-so-great part of town in order to get to my bank. Oh, well, guess that's just what I got to do because my dealer's coming over in four to five minutes. I might even have to run. We made it happen. Yet now we get sober and all of a sudden we want to put all these limiting beliefs and these limitations on ourselves. If somebody were to come up to you and say, look, you, you know, if you don't take on a brand new hobby you know, right now today, you're going to lose your left foot. You'd figure out a way to take on that brand new hobby because you don't want to lose your foot. How can we make something seem that important in your life without having to threaten your foot? 
I don't want to threaten your foot. Diabetes will do a good enough job of that if you overeat sugar. We don't need to be threatening your foot on a day-to-day basis in order for you to start to take action. So you have to be willing to place an importance. And it might mean stashing $25 away for a week, for every single week for the next four months until you've saved up you know, $400 and now you get to go skydiving. It can be whatever it is. The human brain loves having goals, loves having something to look forward to. So do that for yourself. Every three to four months, have some cool thing planned for yourself that you're saving up toward, right? Have it, have it a date on the calendar, skydiving, you know, December 12th, can't wait. And be working toward that, right? Now you're outside walking, maybe you're doing a little working out because you want to be physically fit when you jump out of the airplane so that you, you feel strong while you're flying up in the air, right? Now you got to save a little bit of money, right? Maybe you go watch some YouTubes on skydiving and you, you start to talk to other people. So now your mental acuity is coming up. Your value of being adventurous and, and stepping into new things is, is being elevated because you're taking on the skydiving. Like you see how the brain will begin to work you toward that goal when you commit to that goal. And it's not just in this metaphor of skydiving that this occurs. For my listener in England, you know, when he decided his his health was going to start to take on more of an importance, right? We started getting him in the gym, and he started cooking his own food, and started eating a lot healthier. And next thing you know, he's starting to lose a couple kilograms. Kilos is what he calls them. I don't know what that means in pounds, but it's clearly enough because it was important to bring it up, and he did. And next thing you know, couch to 10K, and boom. Now that his brain's focused on this couch to 10K, all of a sudden another workout buddy shows up and is ready to go work out with him. You know, Now he's cooking his food, and he's noticing weight starting to be released, and it's like, wow, check it out. You told your brain what you wanted to work toward, and now it's opening up opportunities that previously you may not have even noticed because that wasn't what your goal, that wasn't your intention. But now you made it a goal, so now your brain starts finding ways to help you achieve that goal. It's miraculous how this works out. So what is a goal you could set for yourself? His was very specific. I want to be able to run a 10K in April. Okay, great. Boom. That specificity has opened himself up to cooking his own food, to having another workout buddy show up, to finding ways in his day to go straight from work to the gym where a month and a half ago that wasn't even on his radar. This is what the brain does. It works with specifics. And how can you find your specifics? Ask yourself, what has addiction taken away and what am I ready to seize back into my life? I love doing the things that I do. I went to college for all of this. I, you know, I, I took writing classes and photography classes. I was a, took sports broadcasting and you know had training on the microphone. Then I went to California and you know I was a sports writer and I was a morning news anchor for a channel in in Los Angeles. And out of school, I went overseas to Singapore and was you know writing up these um, economy reports for Singapore and Indonesia and Cuba and the Bahamas. And I got to do all this cool writing and I get to meet really amazing people and interview them. And wow, it's just so interesting that when I get sober and I ask myself, what did addiction take away from me? That I went back to doing all of these things that I had enjoyed for years of my life that just kept slipping away. Even my improvisation and my stand-up career is, is paying dividends off now in my speaking from stage and my teaching at workshops. All the things that I was enjoying that just slowly began to fade as addiction really took its roots in me, I'm able to bring back in now. 
And now I get to do podcasts for y'all and social media and I do a speak and it's all amazing. And it's not by some random chance that I started to do all of this. These were things I was interested in from when I was in third grade. And now they're manifesting in my sobriety and recovery because this is what I've long since had a passion to do. What is it you can find and reawaken in yourself? And we're going to get you out of here on this because this is the first time I looked at the timer. I didn't realize I was at 47 minutes. Um, ruminating. There was uh, something one of the listeners, another uh, sobriety coach had written me, and I literally read this right before I got on the microphone where it was talking about um, not needing to have your brain go back to the past all the time, that your brain remembers everything that you've ever done in your life. and You don't need to be ruminating. That was the word I wrote down, ruminating. You don't need to live in the past, y'all. There's there's lessons to be taken from there. And if you continuously go back over and over and over again and ask yourself, what is it that you're ruminating on that you're continuously thinking about over and over and over and over again, there's a lesson that your mind wants you to take from that experience. So ask yourself, if you keep ruminating about taking money out of your mom's purse, or if you keep ruminating on that time that you got in the car accident, or you keep ruminating on that time that you slept with your best friend's partner, right? You keep going back and ruminating over that stuff over and over and over and over again, then there's a lesson to be taken. There's something that your unconscious mind wants you to take from that. So do it. Ask yourself, what is the lesson to learn here? Don't sleep with your partner's best friend. Awesome. Didn't want to do it then, or I wanted to do it then because clearly you did it, but I wouldn't do it now. I'm a different version of myself now. So you don't need to ruminate and beat yourself up over something that you did 15 years ago. You are a different person now. You know better now. You know better, so you'll do better. Call them up. Make their amends if that's going to make sure that it doesn't harm you or them. Do whatever you have to do to be able to release that pain. Take the lesson. What is the lesson from it, right? And then realize that you were doing the best you could then with the resources you had then. And we all have infinite resources within ourselves. It's just that when we're in an undesirable emotional state, it's often hard for us to tap into those resources. And resources could be, you know, agility and flexibility and understanding and compassion and empathy Um, These are all resources, just as much as discipline and diligence and hard work and dedication can be resources. Anything within you, and honestly, look at your values. Those tend to be your resources because those your values will be unconsciously guiding your habits. And when your habits aren't taking you where you want to go, ask yourself, what are the standards of my habits? Where am I asking these habits to take me? Right? If they're taking me to the bar, then I don't want that anymore. So my standards for these habits need to be worked on. And then look back into your own life and say, where have I been the most sad, depressed, frustrated? And if you ask yourself in those moments of sadness, depression, and frustration, what values of mine were, were, were I, what values of mine was I not adhering to? If one of your values is dedication, And then you look back at a sad time and you slept with your partner's best friend. 
Um, next thing you know, like you're not, that's not very dedicated, right? Not being very dedicated to yourself or to them by cheating on them with their best friend, right? Oh, look at that. <laughs> you violated one of your values and it caused you to spiral down into your addiction even deeper. So what would you do differently now? Well, you wouldn't violate that value. You would stand strong with your dedication and you would behave differently. Great. That's who you were then. Now you're a different person. You're able to access these resources because you're coming at it through a different emotional state. You're experiencing it through a different lens of reality. And this is the reality of sobriety and recovery. I recently spoke at... um, invisible entrepreneurs. And one of the things that they started up the organization to do was help people who had chronic pain. And I opened up my presentation with a, um, well, one, it was with a story, but once I got through the story, the, my, my power sentence to grab them out of any trance they may have gotten into, to pull them back into awareness and to, to sort of shake them up so that I knew I had all of their attention, as I opened up with this line, your pain is all in your head. I knew that'd be a power sentence because people with chronic pain are often told by doctors and family members, loved ones, just anybody who thinks that they have an opinion that they want to share, that the pain is in their head, that it doesn't really exist, that they're just, they think it's there, so therefore it's there. That actually is very true. They think it's there, therefore it's there. It's like if you smashed your hand with a hammer and then, you know, next thing you know, uh, a bear ripped off your leg. You wouldn't notice the hand being smashed by the hammer anymore. You'd definitely be thinking more about your missing leg. I just keep wanting to take appendages off in this episode, don't I? <laughs> well, but my point for that analogy is that your mind will focus on what it deems to be the most important thing happening within your organism structure in the moment. So if you have a chronic pain in your knee, and then next thing you know, you sm- you slam your hand in a car door, it's not going to notice the knee in, the mo- in that moment. It's going to be totally focused on your hand literally stuck in the door. So the pain is in the head, much like phantom pain. When somebody has an amputation, it can often hurt where that uh, appendage used to be. It's the head. It's the it's the psychology of it. Now, that doesn't make the pain not real. If the person feels the pain, then it's real to them. And no matter what somebody says about it just being in their head, no matter how many times they go to a therapist or they go, they, they, they have some level of work done, if they think the pain is there, then the pain is there. It doesn't just go away. It's like with my knees when I blew them up skydiving. There'll be some times where I'm working out where I'll be so worried that I'm getting ready to to pop my left MCL or meniscus again that I actually think about it so much that it starts to cause pain. And if I just tell myself, look, if you blow out your knee, you blow out your knee. But I'm going to continue jumping rope. I did like this. Come on, dude. Let's just jump rope. It's going to be fine. Stop thinking about it so much. And then I do some NLP in my brain. I brighten colors and I move pictures around. And next thing I know, the knee doesn't hurt as bad, if at all, anymore. Now, that's just the power of the mind. So why am I talking about all this and finishing the show with the power of your mind? Even when I said that the pain is all in your head to them, and then I went on to explain 
they all, I mean, one, they knew that. They're like, yes, I get that the pain's in my head. It's not a physical manifestation outwardly. It's not like I've got a, a crossbow sticking out of my knee. My knee just hurts. I had some issues and now it's always in pain. And people want to t- sit here and tell me I'm crazy that it's not really in pain. You might find that happening in your sobriety and recovery too. You take the alcohol, you take the drugs away, and now everybody just thinks that you're, everything's all hunky-dory, but it's not. There is a ton of healing that's getting ready to go down. And because other people think that everything's okay because you're not using anymore, they might start trying to throw a lot of responsibility your way. Or they themselves are going to have their own habits about how they're going to treat you and talk to you. And it's going to be in those moments where you have to stop them and say, look, I get it, Right? You haven't seen me drink in like 45 days. You think everything's all hunky-dory. I was like, yeah, I'm doing good. I was like, but there's a long way to go. And I just need to pump some brakes a little bit. Like, this is a lot. I'm not saying don't take on your parental duties or try to, you know, cop your way out of work and, and not take on the responsibilities there by using your sobriety and recovery as an excuse because we've already discussed personal responsibility. We don't make excuses. But there is a time where you have to pump your brakes and give yourself permission for some self-care and say, you know what, I've, I've taken on enough right now. I feel like I, get, I hear a lot about this with um, like um, moms you know, who want to be super involved in their uh, PTA and all this stuff. And they're coming into sobriety and their kids need drives to practice and grocery stores and laundry and all this stuff's happening. And they're just like, I just feel overwhelmed. And I'm like, then you need to pump the brakes and you need to let people know like, hey, you know what? I'm I'm not taking on any more responsibility right now. I'm, I am, I'm good to go. Like the, I, I have reached where I can be for now. And if I can take on any more, I'll, then we'll, we'll dive into that later. But for now, we are absolutely good to go with what it is I'm taking on. And just know when to say when. Know when to say when. It's extremely important that we are not ruminating on the past, but learning the lessons from it. Also, we want to be content in the present. We want to find a level of contentment that says, I don't have to be happy. I don't have to be sad. I can just be, there can just be times where I'm just content. I'm just, man, am I just glad that I'm looking out my window right now at a little baby fawn nursing off of its mom. Like I can just be content in this moment. That was about the most adorable thing you'll ever see, right? But we also want to be ambitiously discontent about our future. We don't just want to settle, right? We don't, okay, well, you know, I reached this level of, of sobriety and recovery. I'm good. Well, what could we, how could we raise the bar one minute more tomorrow, how could we, you know, do one more push up or how could we walk a hundred more steps or how could we, you know, love a little bit more and be grateful a little bit more? You want to be setting the bar just ever so slightly higher each and every day. Some of us, you might be ready to throw that bar a thousand levels up. You do you. I will have that conversation later about how if we try to bum rush our way through sobriety and recovery, we actually leave ourselves some pretty big gaps. So how can, instead of you thinking you need to make those ladder rungs six foot apart, right? Imagine trying to climb a, a ladder with, with six, six foot apart rungs versus a ladder with one foot apart rungs. Who's going to make it up that ladder fastest, right? And who said that it was even a speed game? All right, my friends, I sit, sit here and ramble on more and more. My, my notes literally said practice versus doing, ruminating specifics and taken versus taken back. 
Um, that's a whole lot, you know, a part of me just wanted to have an episode where it was like, let's just, let's just chit chat. Let's just randomly throw out a bunch of stuff. Um, let's just have fun with it. You know, I get so many messages from y'all that, um, you just put me on at work or you put me on in the car and you get in and out of the car and you run errands and it's like, you just, you listen to the episode, you know, in bits and pieces anyways, which is one of the reasons why I chose not to try to curtail these episodes back to 20 to 30 minutes each and every time I said, all right, let's just, let's just have a good time. Let's just play. And today I think we had a good time playing, right? You know, and, and I'm going to be posting on my social media, um, these videos. Cause literally this, this fawn is, it's like Bambi outside my window. It's about the most adorable thing. And, you know, I put some bird seed out for the birds today because the squirrels weren't running around like crazy. And so the birds finally came back, you know, and I mean, here is just, I mean, seriously, outside this window, not even 25 feet away is just the most adorable little fawn. Um, I got some great video of the fawn nursing off the mama deer and wagging the tail. And it's like, this is just, this is life. Like my, I feel so blessed and grateful to be experiencing this right now. Outside my window for a decade in Hollywood was, you know, homeless encampments and people going to the bathroom in the street and just a whole slew of oddities. Um, you know, and here I get to watch this deer sit here and chew on some corn and I get to watch the birds fly around. And what did I think my sobriety and recovery was going to be like? I don't know. I couldn't. I didn't journal back then, so I don't have any written record of what I thought I was going to be able to get to at five and a half years or four years or whatever. But I can tell you that, you know, last night, uh, Recovery Dharma was all about being grateful um, and accepting and just loving oneself and also giving love and sending love to everybody in this world, strangers, all the way to the people we may not be the biggest fan of. Um, and there's just a level of gratitude and appreciation that I have in my own journey um, that I have for all of you for listening as often as you do and for the messages I receive. Um, you know, for you embracing the random just Jesse diatribes on random stuff um, all the way to just being you. Um, and for so many of you, I know that um, just off of your messages alone, that you know, you didn't know what this was, this journey was going to be like. You don't know what to expect from yourself. You still don't. And you, that's good. That's awesome. Each day is another beautiful present. It's another gift. Learn from the lessons of the past. Be ambitiously discontented about your future. But at some point, just whatever your metaphorical deer outside the window is that you just get to be mesmerized by, stop and just, just pay attention to something minute in life today. Look at something on your street that you've never stopped to look at before. See your own albino squirrel. Yesterday, I'm, I'm going for a walk with my girlfriend and didn't even notice, but this house that we passed by so many times has this beautiful piece of artwork that um, is this like round sphere with these cool blades on the top of it. So when the wind's rustling through it, it spins. I had never noticed that. We've been walking past that house for like three months every single day. There is beauty all around you. Just stop. Just stop for a moment. Look up from the phone. 
social media and news and everything else this phone's introduced us to. It's been magical. I love technology and what it's doing, but it's also disconnecting our, us from the world, from ourselves, from our friends, from random strangers. You know, buses used to be bustling and people chit-chatting and neighborhoods used to be full of people who knew each other's names. And now it's just, you know, if maybe the casual wave or the, the nod of the head. But, you know, yesterday I walked into the gym and I just looked the the guy at the behind the counter in the eye and just, hi, how you doing? And he said hello back. And rather than break my gaze and look away, which is definitely, you know, an unconscious habit I have when I think I'm looking at someone too long. Don't don't lock that eyes. Don't stare at them too long. Don't think you're a weirdo. I just looked him in the eyes and like, man, how you doing? Everything going well? Yeah, yeah it's going great. And it was just, you know, it was 15 second back and forth. But it was just that opportunity for, you know, for him to be seen, for someone to just look at him in the eye and say hello. Where can you be that person today for someone else, for yourself? Where can you just stop, you know, and smell those metaphorical roses? There's an opportunity all around you to admire the beauty of the world. That's one of the beautiful things about sobriety is where in the past we would go to concerts or zoos or bowling alleys or wherever, and we want to get half twisted. We wouldn't even want to go if we couldn't get wasted. Now the world's your oyster, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take effort, and there's going to be specific things you're going to want to talk to yourself about, and you're going to want to have specific goals you're aiming for, and then you're going to want to break down those goals to what is it you could be doing for the month on that, for the week on that? What can you do on it for today? Because 90 to 120 days from now, you know, we are smack dab at the beginning of 2023. And has 2022 been everything you wanted it to be? Yay or nay, we can begin to set our sights upward the mountain. It's all about this all the way up life. Uh, I'm blessed that I get to be a part of your journey, and I want to thank you all for being a part of mine. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our collective lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine. Glow on. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 